This evening's talk is going to begin kind of a little mini-series I'm doing, which I'm going to call The Way of Mindful Living. And so each week I'll present a different topic that hopefully folks will find uh, helpful to them in their practice. So the first one that I'm going to talk about tonight is to answer a question that may not be evident to people at first, but something that, if you think about it more deeply, sometimes becomes a question. And that question with regard to spirituality is, what's more important, knowledge or experience? Now, what do I mean by knowledge and experience? Well, for a lot of folks, the religious belief or the religious experience the spiritual experience. And I know that some people have trouble with the word religion today, that it carries a lot of baggage for folks. And I'm okay with that, although I always try, as a lover of words, to bring words back to life, especially after they've been uh, beaten about a little bit. So the word religion for me is not a dirty word. I actually kind of like it. And the word itself means to bring together. So the word religion itself means to, to bring something together. It comes from the same etymology as the word for ligament, which is to hold something together. So I kind of think of religion as another expression of the word oneness. But we'll put that aside for the time being, and we'll just use the popular term, spirituality. So what is spirituality? For a lot of people today, spirituality is about a feeling and there's there's an emphasis on the type of feeling that one gets and i remember someone um, not too long ago saying to me that for them spirituality was the way they felt and this person was describing the way they felt when they would go off into the woods for a walk or they would go off camping uh, for a weekend, spending time in, you know, natural surroundings. And they would say that they would feel a sense of spirituality there. And I'm not saying that isn't a part of spirituality, but that's the focus for a lot of folks today, is the way that the experience feels. I remember someone I was talking to a few months back who told me that they were uh, of the Catholic tradition. And I asked them about what was important to them about that tradition. And the person said to me, well, honestly, I, you know, I don't know that I believe in everything that the Catholic Church teaches, but I really love the feeling I get at the Mass. And so it struck me that here were two people, one coming from a more traditional uh, religious tradition, and someone else coming from a more, might say, nature-oriented tradition. But they were both saying the same thing, that the feeling for them that they got was the thing that mattered. Now, again, I'm not saying that a feeling isn't a part of our spiritual experience. The question I'm kind of posing is, is it important 
is that feeling really important? My answer to that is no. Now, I'm someone who very naturally can uh, relate to both the person who said about taking a walk in the woods, which I love, makes me feel very close to the spirit of oneness. And I've loved being in Catholic churches and even, you know, meditating in them. So I get it. I get that experience that they're talking about. But I think the problem is, is that when we emphasize a feeling as a way of describing our spiritual practices, it's tricky. And here's why. One of the things that's key to understanding mindfulness is that mindfulness teaches us that there is a natural interdependent chain of causation. And that this chain of causation is how everything in the mind works. So we start with beliefs that we have. And those beliefs may not be something that we're aware of consciously. They may be the product of conditioning that we've experienced over the years. And they just become our automatic program. Sort of like in a computer, the software. And then we go into daily life and we have experiences, right? And those experiences combined with those prior beliefs that we have, even if they're not conscious, create thoughts. And those thoughts in turn create feelings. And those feelings in turn create actions. And those actions in turn create consequences. So that's what we call the interdependent chain of causation. Now, why that's so important to understand is that it helps us understand the place of the sequence. And so, if I'm relying on a feeling to guide me, what happens if that feeling isn't there? What happens if I go out into the woods for a walk and I don't experience that spirit of oneness. What happens if I go to the church and I don't experience that spirit of oneness? And that's the problem with relying on a feeling. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with feelings. It's just that if we rely on feelings primarily to guide or direct us, It's not a good place to come from in terms of clarity. And why is that? Because there are thoughts that are causing those feelings to arise in us. And if those thoughts are not clear, then the feelings we have will correspond to that. You know, so maybe instead of going off into the woods for a walk and my mind is, you know, just sort of fresh and allowed to just be there, then I might have good feelings. But let's say I go into the woods and I'm feeling kind of down and maybe my mind is filled with obsessive thoughts 
and I carry those into the forest. I might turn the woods into a very dark place. Likewise, if I learn something about the church and maybe I hear some story about the church that disturbs me in some way, then when I go inside the church, I may not have that same feeling. And so that's the problem with letting feelings guide us. And the thing that the way of mindful living teaches us is that we should not allow our feelings to guide our sense of direction about anything. And there's nothing wrong with feelings. Feelings are the natural outflow of thoughts. But using thoughts to guide what we do is just not advised. And relying on feelings to guide us is not advisable. We might take the same thing into relationships. We might say today, wow, I really just love being with this person. Let's say it's a friend. Let's not even get into a lover. That's even more powerful in terms of emotion. But let's say it's a friend and I, I, like, I really like being with that friend, right? But then something happens, right? Something happens between us. We have an argument. We, we have some kind of disagreement, which happens to all friends. And what we find is we're no longer feeling the same way. And so if we allow our feelings to guide us, then that's how a lot of times relationships end up not continuing because we let that emotion tell us what we should do. So very clearly, the instruction we get in the way of mindful living is that we do not trust our thoughts to guide us. And that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the good thoughts <laughs> and we can't learn from the, thought, the feelings that we don't, we don't like. In other words, you know, when I'm having a good feeling, I can just enjoy that good feeling. Now, it still works the same way. A good feeling is going to follow from a clear thought. A good feeling is going to follow from a clear thought. But a good feeling could also come from a thought that has a lot of attachment. Or it has a lot of aversion to it, right? The attachment might be, oh, I found out that I'm going to be going somewhere that I really love to go and travel to, right? So now I'm feeling pleasurable. <laughs> And then I find out the next day that something happened and now I can't go. So now I'm not feeling so happy. It works the same way. If I want to find happiness, then I have to stop relying on my feelings. Now, I know that might sound contradictory, a little strange. But it goes back to the heart of the teachings, which is we have to allow ourselves the space to explore our thoughts and to see if those thoughts are clear, to see if those thoughts are based on reality. 
to see if those thoughts see if those thoughts are helpful to us. And that's the great thing. We have the choice to choose between thoughts. I don't have to continue to use a thought that doesn't help me or is not based on reality or leads to discursive emotion or leads me into suffering. I don't have to do that. And that's the great thing we have, the freedom to do that. So, when it comes to feelings, I think that's pretty clear. Now, the question was, what's more important, feelings or knowledge? And in the Buddhist tradition, I would say, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. But, if I had to say which one comes first, then it would be knowledge. It would be knowledge. Why is that so important? Because knowledge and understanding is what allows us to see the interdependent chain of causation. And if we didn't have that understanding and that knowledge, then there's not much we could do. We would be like everyone else, pretty much a victim of whatever feelings we were having. And then those feelings would guide our actions. But... We don't. We know that there is a knowledge or a wisdom that is based upon that knowledge, or you might say that the wisdom is the way within which we use that knowledge. That's clear. But that knowledge helps us to understand the way things are. It's just like when people talk about uh, oneness, you know, they might say that they had this experience and they felt a sense of oneness. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. That can be beautiful and that can be something that might even encourage us to go deeper in our practice. When we do liturgy together, it's an experience, I believe, of that spirit of oneness. But if I'm relying on my feelings and not that knowledge, then I might start to put the experience or feeling above the knowledge. When I was growing up as a kid in the Christian tradition, there were people that spoke in tongues. So I've never even heard that before. The fancy term for it is glossolalia. And those who could speak in tongues were considered to have a gift. And that, and then there were some that could interpret what was said, right? Because they were speaking with the tongues of angels, although often it just sounded like gibberish. But this experience of speaking in tongues is not unique to Christianity. There are other religious traditions that have a similar type of thing going on. And I'm not going to get into that whole subject because it's fascinating. But essentially what would happen is that the people that were speaking in tongues, which they sometimes called them the charismatics, that they began to feel more special. That somehow they were closer to God because they had this experience. And I saw it divide churches. Churches would split in half. 
between those who were of the charismatic orientation and those who were not. Now, in Buddhism, we don't have any speaking in tongues. I think the closest thing you might get is certain uh, sort of Tibetan traditions that might have something close to that. But that's a bit of the Tibetan culture that uh, became part of the Buddhist tradition. But in the Buddhist tradition itself, there isn't really anything like that. However, there are those in some Buddhist traditions who believe because they have a certain kind of experience, that they are now more enlightened, or they are more authentic because they had this experience. And that's the problem. The problem then becomes that the person who's trying to do that tries to have a similar experience. And, and it goes from being a matter of encouragement to trying to replicate it. Or let's say a person has that kind of experience, a big wow experience, you know. And then they keep trying to have it again. And then they get bummed out when they can't. Or they're on a high. I've seen that with people sometimes, where they first get into the practice and they, they feel that experience of liberation and freedom that it brings. And they're just digging it. And then something comes along. Some human thing comes along. And it throws them off. So that's why knowledge is more important than feeling. And that's why wisdom is more important than experience. Because some people will more naturally have that kind of inclination. In the Christian tradition, when I was growing up, faith itself was considered a gift. And I always thought that it was interesting because faith itself was considered a gift. It wasn't something that everybody had naturally. It was a gift that some people had. And so that's how I look at it, using that analogy. That it's our knowledge of how the mind works. And the way we apply that knowledge, the wisdom, that is the most important. And then the feelings or the experiences, again, I'm not knocking them. I'm not saying they aren't important or relevant. I'm just saying they're not a good guide. And I say that as a matter of encouragement, because I know a lot of people who just don't have a lot of feeling when it comes to the practice. People have said that to me, you know, like with the practice of meditation. Well, I don't get it. What am I, what am I supposed to feel? <laughs> and I tell them, oh, you don't have to feel anything. That's not the point. The point is to gain the knowledge that you gain from the practice of samadhi, concentration observing and the practices of the four questions where we break down and analyze a question or a problem that has arisen in our life. That's the knowledge that's important. 
and the feelings will come along. But we don't want to put the cart before the horse. So if you look at it that way, that's how I'll finish with that image. That it's the cart and the horse. They're both together. They're both important. One pulls, one carries. And we need both. But knowledge is the horse. Feelings are the cart. Wisdom is the horse. Experience is the cart. So I hope that's helpful, and I hope for those of you that haven't had a lot of big wow experiences, that that will encourage you to realize that you can benefit and experience the true happiness of the practice without relying on having some big peak moment.